This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July. This is Dr. Andrew Jacobs on the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio, 810 WHB in Kansas City. Looking forward to doing the show with you today as we do every week, talking about the mental side of sports. Hope everyone's safe, taking care of themselves out there as we delve into your mind today. And You know, I've been on the radio here in Kansas City for 30 years. I've been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. And I want to thank Mitch Morris, who came in the studio last week. Had a tremendous show about mental health and anxiety with athletes. And if you listen to my podcast, that has, in less than a week, become the most popular podcast that I've ever had. Um, Mitch is a, a wonderful young man, obviously a very, very successful NFL player. And he had a lot of great advice, lots of in- interesting information. So if you like to listen to the show, last week's show was, was a gem and one I would encourage you to listen to. You know, I come in this studio every week and bring in topics to talk about. And usually it's about the things that go on in, in the world of sports each week, as well as what I experience in my practice. As I said, 40 years of work as a sports psychologist, I've worked with a lot of people, lots of great people. The Olympics are coming up here in a few weeks. The Olympic trials have been going on. I've worked with several uh, young people who've tried out. One young man actually made the Olympic team. Hoping to have him come in the studio here at some point to talk about his competitions. And you know, this whole issue of the Olympics, I've had the privilege to work over the years with about privately about a dozen athletes and then also back in the 80s as the team psychologist for USA Cycling was in the 84 Olympics where we won nine medals uh, first medals we won in 72 years in the Los Angeles Olympics and um, the whole idea of the Olympics is is this the art of competition and competing to see who can be the best one of the things that's concerned me as a sports psychologist is something that I I keep hearing more and more from young clients I see. And they're, they're stressed out and pressured about having to win. You know, sports should be fun. I mean, the Olympics is, as a, as a fan, we love watching it. We love watching the, the competitors. They're the best in the world. And we get to see some of them do incredible performances. Some of them choke. Some of them don't do very well. You know, this wasn't a, a sports competition, but in 1984, Edwin Moses, at the beginning of the Olympics, had to recite the athlete's oath. And he forgot some of the words. And it was really funny while he was saying it, and he stopped and he looked around and then someone helped him and he finished it up. Here's the greatest hurdler in the history of hurdling, and he forgot some words. It just goes to show you that athletes are human. At the Olympic level, 
It's about competition. It's about doing your best. It's about seeing what you can do against the world's best. The word winning comes into play because everyone wants to win. But I know having worked with several gold medalists, they said the gold medal was the result. They said it was the result of their effort, their attitude, their commitment, their, their, their confidence, their focus. And they would say, I recall years ago, Catherine Fox from Kansas City won two gold medals in 1996 in swimming in Atlanta. And she came on my show with her coach, Pete Malone, the co-author of, our, of my book, along with Jeff Montgomery, Just Let Him Play. And Catherine came on the show before she went to Atlanta talking about what's your goal for the Olympics? She said, Dr. J, my goal is to go down there to Atlanta and do the best I can. If I win a medal or medals, that'll be awesome. But if I go and do the best I can, I will walk away proud of myself. Do I want to win a medal? Of course I do. But if I come in dead last and I've done my best, I'll be disappointed I didn't win a medal, but heck, I'll be dead last of the best in the world. That's not so bad. Well, we got some callers, and one guy called up and started giving her grief about, you're supposed to go there to win the gold medal, not to do your best. She challenged him, said, sir, if I do my best and I win a gold medal, that's why it'll happen. Well, she goes to Atlanta, wins two gold medals, comes back on my show a few weeks after the Olympics, and wanted that guy to call back. Of course, he didn't. She won and did well because of so many factors. Great coach, Pete Malone, who trained her. Great parents, great family. And because she was a very confident young woman. You know, youth sports today, and, and, and we've had interviews with a number of people in the past few weeks, experts who've done research on, on youth sports. And we're finding that more and more kids are wanting to quit at younger and younger ages because they're tired of playing. At 11, 12, 13 years of age, they don't play anymore. Why? Because they start at four and five. They're on traveling teams at eight and nine. They're play I had a young man in my office the other day who is 10, and at the end of June, he'd played almost 60 baseball games in May and June. He's 10. And he has a coach who gets angry at him and, and actually he's quitting this team because the coach started screaming at him because he struck out. This young man's pretty small and the coach is 6'4", weighs 250 and screaming at him when he came in the dugout. Well, that's pretty intimidating. Why? Because he struck out. Well, did he strike out to tick off the coach? No, he struck out because he struck out. Baseball's a game of failure. One of the greatest conversations I ever had was with Jeff Montgomery, the other co-author of our book. And he was talking with me with some parents when he was coaching a youth baseball team, 12 years, 12 year olds and, and then older. And Jeff talked about with these kids, look, we're here to have fun. We're here to get better. We're here to learn. But most importantly, let's enjoy what we're doing. And if a young man didn't do very well, he didn't get angry at him. He, I mean, if somebody misbehaved, that's different. But if somebody didn't do well, 
He didn't get angry at him. He would take him aside after the game, talk to him about what they did, and say, hey, we're going to work on it in practice. In practice tomorrow, the next, next practice, we're going to take the time to go through what you did wrong and see what you can do to correct it. That's what coaching is about. It's about teaching. And I work with professional athletes, Olympic athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, youth athletes. It should be about that, in my opinion. Well, I want to open up our phone lines. If you are a coach, give me your opinion on this. How important is winning compared to the growth process with youth sports? About learning, having fun, enjoying what you're doing. Or is it about winning? I know there are people who are out there who say, hey, you have to teach these kids how to win. I'm not disagreeing with that. But should winning become secondary to the enjoyment of what you're doing? I'd love to hear from you if you're a coach. I'd love to hear from you if you're an athlete. I'd love to hear from you if you're a parent. Youth sports today is a profession, and I say profession, that is growing exponentially. It is a big business. And success and failure are what we teach kids to do in sports. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This year marks the 41st anniversary presentation of A Capital Fourth, the national July 4th TV tradition on PBS. And this year's special 90-minute presentation is hosted by multi-platinum recording artist and star of television, film, and Broadway, Vanessa Williams, who will also be performing. The fireworks display over Washington, D.C.'s iconic skyline will be covered live during the broadcast, captured by multiple cameras stationed around the city in celebration of our nation's 245th birthday. The award-winning, top-rated PBS program will bring us together with themes of love, hope, and patriotism, featuring all new performances and tributes from coast to coast, by a variety of artists, including Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Mickey Guyton, and Jimmy Allen. The National Symphony Orchestra will perform John Williams' inspiring composition, Olympic Fanfare, in honor of Team USA's Olympic and Paralympic teams as they prepare for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And world-renowned Grammy Award-winning soprano superstar Renee Fleming will open the show with a special performance of the National Anthem. This year's concert showcases the strength of the American spirit from sea to shining sea, with performances from our nation's capital of Washington, D.C., New York City's iconic Town Hall in Times Square, the famed Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, and Los Angeles' starry skyline. For more than four decades, a Capital Fourth has celebrated the nation's birthday and the hopes and dreams of all Americans. Mickey Guyton talks about this year's A Capital Fourth. A special tradition for me is always, always watching the 4th of July fireworks. Getting on the top of a rooftop and watching all the fireworks all over the city is a must for me. And it's my favorite way to celebrate the 4th of July and America's birthday. The 4th of July means freedom to me. We have a long way to go, but we're getting there together. This 41st annual broadcast of the Capital 4th airs on PBS this Sunday, July 4th, from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as on American Forces Network for our troops serving around the world. The concert will also be streaming on Facebook, YouTube, and PBS.org, and can be heard in stereo on NPR stations nationwide. In addition, it'll be available as video on demand from July 4th through July 18th. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. Our topic today, the future of policing in America. But once you have a historical context, you understand why once there was professional policing in this country, it was really designed to 
patrol uh, slaves, as well as other sort of new immigrant types who came to America. And so you understand better why there's pushback in the police department. They may want to do it, but it institutionally was uh, anchored in having that kind of mission. So maybe defund the police is the way to go. You know, start anew. I'm not sure. For more, watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central, on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio, 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. 
Our shows are rebroadcast throughout the country, and they're also podcasted everywhere. You know, as we go into July, and the youth sports world will be competing, finish up a lot of competitions for the summer. There'll be a lot of traveling going on, lots of things going on. You know, it's it's so great to be coming back from this pandemic and seeing sports. I mentioned the other day i gone to some Royals baseball games, professional women's soccer game. It's so great to be out and see people outside together again. As I said, this whole idea of winning, you know, we're, we've got the Olympics coming up and Everybody wants to win, you know, there's the medal count. And, you know, I've never cared for the medal count because it's really about the, com- the compet- competitive nature of what you're doing. Everybody wants to know who won the most medals and, you know, go for the gold. That's the whole thing. But it's really, I know when I've worked with so many of these athletes, do they want to win a medal? Yes, I've, they all want to win medals, but they're, they want to compete. They want to see what they can do. So what's the purpose of youth sports? Why do we play youth sports? To teach kids values, to teach them skills, to teach them fundamentals, but to have fun, to have fun. And the burnout rate with kids playing sports is growing dramatically when kids reach 11 and 12. Now, one of the reasons for that is because kids are playing several sports they wanna start specializing in one and get better at one. That's fine. Recently, I read an article that quoted both Roger Federer and Alex Morgan. Each of them talked about their youth sports experience. Both emphasized they didn't start specializing in their particular sports, soccer for Alex Morgan, tennis for Roger Federer, and they're both pretty good at those things. So they were around 14. They played a bunch of things. And they talked about having fun with it. Now, Blake, my producer Blake is a stud athlete, or at least he was, when he went to Austin P. I still got a little juice left in the tank. Okay, so what do you think about what I'm saying? Because you you are a result of youth sports, and you survived it, and you went on to play in college. Do you agree? Do you agree or disagree? Because I know everybody doesn't agree with this. Yeah. So for youth sports, for me was uh, I think originally youth sports for most people is to one socialize with with kids in your community, kids who are like minded, kids who want to compete, kids who want to get better. Um, Were there any kids like you though? No, never. Okay. There's never been another kid like me. At, no. <laughs> okay. No, that's. But excuse me. That's that's a great point that I didn't mention. The whole socialization aspect. Yeah, You're right. I, I think I think that's why parents get kids into sports. Now, kids continue to play sports because they like it, and they like the competition aspect. And I think getting better at sports is just naturally something that they'll do now. When it comes to why kids burn out in sports, I think a lot of times that has to do with either the parents pushing them to do more when maybe that's not really their goal at that time. When they're young kids, I mean, there's no reason to be on a traveling team in sixth grade, okay? I mean, I like, yeah, I know kids do that. There's really no reason to do it. I didn't no, no, play- no, no, I'm going to tell you the reason to do it. It's called money. Okay. No, no. Well, you you know what I mean. Though. There's no reason for that child, in his mind, to do that. It's a, it, it's something on a bigger scale, usually pushed by the parents or coaches or the organization. From the kids' aspect, you don't need to be playing on a traveling team that young. 
eighth grade is when I played on a traveling team, and I'll and I'll tell you they're they make a big deal about it, but really, if you're good at the sport, you're gonna be good wherever you go. Do, well, you don't me, have let, to hop on the uh, hop on the the everyday practice, the everyday thing that young. Let me jump in <clears throat> in regards to that. There are a lot a lot of youth sports teams in small towns that don't have anybody to play against, so they will do some traveling. Yeah, that's, that's there's, different. There's validity with that. Yeah, that's that's a different story, though. But, but yeah, I mean, and you, you just hit it right on the head. You know, in our book, we talked about, and, and this is Pete Malone, who coached, I think, eight Olympic medalists, over 10,000 swimmers. Jeff Montgomery is the Kansas City Royals' all-time leader in saves. And they both emphasized in addition to me, that winning shouldn't even matter to your 13 or 14. It should more be about the experience, having fun, the enjoyment, and that's what it should be. All right, I'd love to hear from you and get your opinion on this. Should youth sports be such a, a competitive situation now that you've got traveling teams at young ages and are kids burning out at young ages? And if you're a parent, have your kids wanted to quit because of overzealous coaching? Coaches who are so caught up with the competitive nature of going out there and playing and having to win. Should kids get yelled at because they struck out or missed a shot or made a mistake? Or should they be coached? I think there's a difference. There's a difference in that. And I'm seeing, of course, I've talked about it on this show for years, I'm seeing so many young athletes who come into my office who get so disappointed because a coach would get mad at them because they made a mistake. He didn't do it on purpose. And then what happens to their self-confidence? Where does it go? Down. We've got a young man in the studio listening to the show. And I, as I said that, he just put his thumb down. His confidence goes down. Why? Because the pressure to have to win. Winning is great. But it's about com competitiveness. It's about the art of competing. I'd love to hear from your coach. You're an athlete. You're a parent. And get your opinion on this. Grandparents. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. We're going to do a very deep dive into the issue of the wealth gap, the wealth divide with African-Americans and the larger population and try to understand and measurably why that divide exists. Slavery, the implications, uh, Jim Crow, the measurable implications, the Homestead Act and the GI Bill, and how somehow African Americans completely missed or significantly missed those opportunities. So many issues, the criminal justice issue, health issues, education issues, almost all of it, in my opinion, just me, you can attribute it to the wealth gap that exists in America, institutionally exists in America. For more, watch State of Play, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel. 
America. Your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio, 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. Our shows are rebroadcast throughout the country, and they're also podcasted everywhere. And today's topic is the the whole issue of winning. And I'd love to hear from you. You know, youth sports, as as I've been talking about, is growing exponentially all around the country. And there was a study done that I had the uh, authors of that study on a few weeks ago. They said, it's going to go from like $7 billion to $25 billion industry in about four years. Why? Well, because people can make money on it. They make uniforms. They make trophies. 
they put on tournaments, coaching fees. And let's face it, youth sports is awesome if it's done the right way. If it's not done the right way, it can destroy confidence in kids really quickly. There are coaching education programs out there, but a lot of people don't have them. A lot of people coach because out of the goodness of their heart, they want to go out there and help their kids or help their neighbor's kids. But oftentimes their egos get in the way. The Olympics is going to be starting here in a couple weeks. And we're going to be talking about winning the medal counts. You know, the newspapers will have the medal count every day. What countries won the most medals? But when you talk to these athletes, and I've talked, obviously worked with many of them, yes, they want to win medals, but they want to go there and compete and do their best. And I've worked with many athletes who were disappointed they didn't get a medal, but they weren't disappointed in their, in their performance. How important should winning be for kids in sports? When should the topic of winning become more important? When should it be the most important topic? I think it should be about learning skills, having fun, developing, and learning about failure, learning how to fail, learning that it's okay to fail because we're all going to fail and screw up. Not to be scared of it, not to be yelled at. Why would you yell at a 10-year-old boy who struck out? Why would you scream at an a 8-year-old girl for missing a free throw? Unfortunately, this stuff happens more often than we know and than we think. I see it all the time. And what, I'm, what I've noticed in my practice, which I've been in practice for 40 years now, is that we're getting younger and younger kids, younger and younger kids who don't want to play anymore because it's not fun. Let's see what Tom has to say. Tom, good morning. I'm Dr. Jacobs. Happy Fourth of July to you. How are you, sir? Very good. For, happy Fourth of July to you as well. Thank well, you. You're 100% right. Um, you you got to try to make it fun for the kids. You got to try to teach them. Um, the, the big thing in my mind on sports, you know, too, is, is the work ethic you learn, the, also the socialization skill that you talked about. It's great for the kids, but you also it, you talk about like like even with the with the Olympic people, it's about the competition. So if you're going to compete, you're going to you, know, you always play to win. So, you know you push it, you try to work the teamwork ethic of things into it. But it's like um, I I, um, I I did a lot of um, junior high basketball over the years when I was teaching, and did one of those things too. Um, I had some really good teams. And there were times we went out and got beat. So, guys, if we go out, if we play our best and we still get beat, you know, that's, that's life. There's always going to be somebody up there maybe a little bit better than you and try to put that concept into what they're doing. So it, it is okay to lose. yourself. that makes sense. Well, Tom, the third chapter in my book is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. And exactly. that's in there because I don't care what sport you play. You will fail. You will screw up. And let me ask you, so did you ever see coaches ream kids because they made a mistake? Oh, oh Lord, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, way too many times. You know, I'm starting kids in, in, in seventh grade, playing junior high. Some of them did not have a lot of skill. And, and I would get bad mouth. Well, you don't know that. So let me ask this question before we let you go. Our, our connection isn't the best here. 
What's your definition of winning, Tom? Yeah, we're here. Do you hear? Do you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. What's your definition of winning? Basically, competing at, at, at a good level and developing yourself to be the best player you can be. What's your it, definition? It, it, what's your definition of losing? The definition of losing, as far as you, if, if it's going to be a loss, it's, it's one of those things where. Because you, like you said, everyone who who competes or does a sport is going to lose. Sometimes you go out and you're just having an off day, and just a lo- losing is just where you have not. You, I won't say you haven't done your best, but if things aren't working as well as they should, and, and somebody else capitalizes on that. All right, well, listen, we're losing the connection here. Tom, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it. Great comments this morning. You take care and be safe. That was a great call. And, you know, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying because obviously a lot of people don't. My philosophy is with youth sports, teaching, growing, learning, winning and losing is part of that. You have to learn how to lose. You have to learn how to fail. You have to learn how do I learn from this, grow from this, get better from it. But when you have... A grown person degrading a kid for making a mistake, what's that saying? I, w- I would say a good coach checks his or her ego at the door. It's not about the coaches, it's about the kids. But we see too many coaches who get too caught up in it, the excitement of it. You know, it's fun to win. Let's face it, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with wanting to win. Except when you don't. What happens? Well, if, if you have two teams out there playing, and unless it's soccer where you get a tie, almost then no, there's virtually no other sport. Right, Blake? What other sport can you tie? Hockey? I don't think so. No, you can't tie no, hockey. No, you overtime. I mean, soccer is about the only sport that I can think of where you can tie. Okay. And nobody's happy when they tie. Um, somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. But if you lost... What did you learn about yourself? I have a baseball player, youth baseball player I'm working with, a high school baseball player. And he went 0 for 4 in a game recently and told me, you know, Doc, I hit the ball hard all four times. They were all good at bats. I mean, they all got, they were all line drives. They were all caught. And I was bummed that the ball didn't fall in, but I felt good about my my ABs. And and the coach, every time I came in the dugout, said, great at bat. Way to battle. Because he knew he was putting in the effort. You're, you're not always going to succeed when you put in the best effort. So one of the things that I think is so important for young athletes today is, is the experience. And, and the fun part. Isn't it supposed to be fun? I've got three young men sitting across from me in the studio here. They're not on the microphones, but I want you guys to tell me. Raise your hand if you think sports should be fun. All three just raise their hands. Do any of you think, have any of you played sports and it hasn't been fun before? Raise your hands. One has. Okay. So the pressure to win, was that because of the pressure to win? Yes, he's shaking his head. Okay. This is exactly why I'm talking about this today. Kids are going to have the experience of winning and losing whatever you play, whatever sport it is. But the key is, what did you learn? What were they coached? I had the privilege of being coached 
youth tennis by a man named John Bragan, great man, taught hundreds of tennis players in the Kansas City area. I don't remember him ever talking about winning or losing. He always talked about development, having fun, getting better. And I'll validate why he was so great. He had two daughters who went on to play college tennis, one at, at University of Kansas, one at Vanderbilt. They're both state champions, but they learned to have fun. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This year marks the 41st anniversary presentation of a Capital Fourth, the National July 4th TV tradition on PBS. This year's special 90-minute presentation is hosted by multi-platinum recording artist and star of television, film, and Broadway, Vanessa Williams, whom will also be performing. The fireworks display over Washington, D.C.'s iconic skyline will be covered live during the broadcast captured by multiple cameras stationed around the city in celebration of our country's 245th birthday. The award-winning, top-rated PBS program will bring us together with themes of love, hope, and patriotism, featuring all new performances and tributes from coast to coast by Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, amongst others. The National Sympathy Orchestra will perform John Williams' inspiring composition, Olympic Fanfare, in honor of Team USA's Olympic and Paralympic teams as they prepare for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And world-renowned Grammy award-winning soprano superstar Renee Fleming will open the show with a special performance of the national anthem. This year's concert showcases the strength of the American spirit from sea to shining sea with performances from our nation's capital of Washington, D.C., New York City's iconic town hall in Times Square, and the famed Ryman Auditorium in Nashville and L.A.'s starry skyline. For more than four decades, the Capitol Fourth has celebrated the nation's birthday and the hopes and dreams of all Americans. Jimmy Allen talks about this year's A Capital Fourth. To me, the 4th of July means freedom. It means independence. It also means that every day we have the opportunity to get up and chase whatever dreams we have. So some 4th of July traditions I have is fireworks, sitting around with some friends and family, just enjoying food and having a good time and just being thankful for each day we have to wake up here in America. The 41st annual broadcast of the Capital Fourth airs on PBS this Sunday, July 4th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as on American Forces Network for our troops serving around the world. The concert will also be streaming on Facebook, YouTube, and PBS.org, and can be heard in stereo on NPR stations nationwide. In addition, it'll be available as video on demand from July 4th through July 18th. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. The status of black women in America. A lot of people say, well, why do you need to talk about it? You've got Kamala Harris, a heartbeat away from the presidency. You've got Stacey Abrams being considered for Nobel Peace Prize. But I think we all know that's not the real deal. African-Americans and particularly women were the vessels by which to keep this human capital going. Uh, during slavery, then you had uh, Jim Crow. And there's a sensitivity on the part of women generally, whatever the race, and then particularly African-American women, to raise the point of, why aren't you talking? about me? Why don't you have programs customized uh, to deal with my needs? And so I guess that explains why we're still struggling with it uh, in this year of 2021. For more, watch State of Play, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. 
I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting? Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio, 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. Our shows are rebroadcast throughout the country, and they're also podcasted everywhere. You know, we've been talking about this whole concept of winning and youth sports and everything today. And... You know, I'd lo- love to hear from you. I'd love to see what your thoughts are. How important should winning be for kids? Should it be about the score or should it be about the experience? If you have coached kids, why'd you do it? What'd you get out of it? The biggest thing for me, I think, is, is the whole teaching the whole experience of teaching and having fun, enjoying the experience. That's what it should be about. But unfortunately, like I said, we're seeing a lot of kids today losing their excitement, losing their thrill and quitting at an earlier age because of the pressure, the pressure to win, the pressure to have to be the best pressure to have to beat people and then you get these adults you know think about it if you're a eight or nine year old youngster and you're on a sports team and you screw up and the coach yells at you because you screwed up what's that do to your confidence how's that make you feel not very good and The long-term effects of that can be detrimental down the road. 
The Olympics will be starting here in a few weeks, as I said. We'll be hearing all kinds of stories about young athletes competing on the world stage against the best in the world. Someone is going to come in first place in every sport, in every event. And a lot of other people won't. You will hear interviews with these athletes. And this is what I love as a sports psychologist. I love listening to the interviews. And you'll hear them talk about, it was about the experience. It's, it's, it's a bummer I didn't win, but I learned so much about myself. I got to compete against the best people in the world. And I'm one of them. Their confidence level was developed as a youngster growing up because they had support systems. They learned about losing. They learned about failure in a constructive way. Blake, do you agree with that? Yes. Because you failed a lot as a football player and a baseball player. Football was your main sport. But what was the – let me ask this question. Did you ever have a coach you didn't like? Yes, definitely. Why? Why? Um, just because of the way that they hand, like the way that their attitude was uh, against failing. They didn't. They didn't know how to teach a kid. They just knew how to yell at a kid because this is what they were supposed to do, and they didn't do it. Therefore, they're wrong. No, they didn't know how to teach. They didn't know how to mold young minds. And I thought that was the biggest problem if you're going to be a youth coach. Well, you're how old are you? Twenty four. Twenty six. Twenty six. Oh, I appreciate it. You look though. younger Thank than you. your age. Okay. Um, what would you say the biggest? You, you know, I love having you as a producer. You do a great job, by the way. I want everyone to know Blake. Oh, thank you. Blake does a tremendous job. Um, and I can say that to be nice, but I also mean it. Um, you played those sports through college. You went to Austin P. and Greatest, by the way, the greatest cheer of any any college sports team any, anywhere is is. Austin Let's Peay. go, P. There you go. Um, what was the biggest lesson you learned from youth sports? For you, and let me ask this: Do you recall any incident where you had a coach ride, get on you, ride your your backside, that maybe didn't leave you feeling too good? The biggest takeaway from youth sports, I think, was just something that we talked about initially was the socialization for me. Um, some of my best friends in my entire life came from sports and that will never change. They're still my best friends to this day. There's just something about, there's a difference between meeting friends in school and then meeting friends that you then compete with, you sweat with, you, you go through hardships with in a sport. And I think that builds a stronger bond than somebody that you just kind of meet on the street or meet in passing or maybe you have, you know, buddies at school or work or something like that. That doesn't really compare to the same kind of bond you build with people when you compete in sports. So that to me, of all the things, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've loved about youth sports is, is the friendships that you build um, while you both learn and compete to push each other. Now, you know that I do have some some uh, coaches that have left a, a very bad taste in my mouth. Um, and I've gone over the stories before, but yeah, there's definitely some coaches that I did I believe did not handle situations properly as a coach or as an adult. 
I mean, just even as an adult, that's not how you should conduct yourself sometimes. So, um, yeah. So, had... so let me let me jump in here. So, yeah. as you're talking, the way my mind works, I, I, the word that's popping into my head is trust. Where does the word trust? You know, do you trust your coach? Do you trust your teammates? Do you trust yourself? Did that? Does that make sense? Yeah. You mean as far as as how you view your role on the from team, what, or from how what you, you view your what coach? You, what you get out of that in in the long term in life? How did you end up trusting yourself? Oh yeah. Well, when you when you practice all week to do something, and you've got a goal in your in your head, and then you can go out and actually do it, do that goal, and and accomplish that goal. To you, or to you as a as an athlete, that is just small building blocks every single time. Now it could be day to day stuff like tomorrow. I, I'm going to go out and practice, and I promise I'm not going to drop a single ball. You don't do it. That's a trust building block that you've trusted and built in yourself. Then you have then you build trust through teammates as well. But you instead of say I'm not going to drop a single ball. I think you say, I'm going to do the best I can to try to catch every ball. Yeah. Because then you're focusing on what you can do well, rather I, than you I think can. when you set the goal, hey, I'm not going to drop a ball, you then build you then build that option to say, hey, I'm going to do my best to catch everyone because I don't want to drop a ball. So those goals then, in, in fact, do enhance how you view the, what you know how hard you work at practice. You know, this is a topic we'll get into again on this show as we move into the fall and a lot of the fall sports start up football volleyball cross country winning and losing happen when you play sports i don't care what the sport i don't care what the level but i think for you sports especially it should be the growth process learning to have fun learning to get better and this is just the the more i i talk to people and work with so many people this becomes a bigger issue than some of us think i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs hope you enjoy the show lots of ways to reach me you can get a hold of me at my website winnersunlimited.com send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com give me a call at my office 816-561-5556 our shows are podcasted all over please encourage people to listen encourage your kids coach to listen to this show it will help you and your kids, and those coaches as well. Stay well. Talk to you next week. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. The future of the two-party system. We have the Democrats who always have their challenges. It's a wide tent and therefore a challenging tent, but also the Republican Party that seems to be having really acute challenges. We've seen several of their U.S. senators say they're just not even going to seek re-election. And then we saw the insurrection on January 6th, where I think 147 of them still voted not to respect the electoral vote. It's a challenge when a party rejects Liz Cheney, a challenge when the party rejects their standard bearer, Mitt Romney. Uh, a real challenge is what will be the heart and soul of the Republican Party. It does not bode well for our country. For more, Watch State of Play, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel.
If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.